0: dirt road in a gooseneck saddle up with me dry land in god's country crops far as i can see headlights on both ends of my day
1: Welcome, folks, to HPJ Talk, the podcast from High Plains Journal, bringing the ag news and commentary of the week to you. I'm Jennifer M. Latsky, and I'm joined by my colleague, Kayleen Scott. Hey, Kayleen. Hey, Jenny. Well, this week, our podcast is truly out of this world. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we are uh, excited. This thing has been in the works for a couple of, well, about a month or so now, but um, We are just tickled to have astronaut Air Force Colonel Nick Haig on the show today to talk about his journey from a farm near Hoxie all the way to the International Space Station and back. Um, That was pretty cool, wasn't it, Kayleen? Yeah, it
2: was pretty neat. Um,
1: So Kayleen, you're not a space nut. No. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, but you you went to school at Hutch, JUCO, so you have seen the Cosmosphere and have been there, right? Yeah, they took us to the
2: Cosmosphere when we were in grade school.
1: Yeah, see, there you go. There's just so many astronauts that are from Kansas, and I think it's mostly because of our motto, Ad Astra Per Aspera. <laughs>
2: <laughs> to the stars
1: through difficulty. Maybe so. <laughs> so what do you think, uh, from our interview... You think the boys will be inspired or excited to hear from from this guy? I know a lot of what he talked about is a little bit of high thinking above some, some elementary school age, but what do the boys think about astronauts?
2: Oh, I told them about the interview, and they both thought it was pretty cool last night. They're all about cowboys right now, so it was a little bit <laughs> for them to, you know, pay attention that I was talking to an astronaut yesterday.
1: Well, that's okay. At some point in time, though, They'll have um, the space units in their science and and in their uh, oh, history classes and that sort of thing. I think yeah. my love for it goes all the way back to fourth grade. That was the year at Chapman that our um, our science teacher and our and, and the other teacher that that taught history, they would do uh, space units, and so it, mostly that's where we learned about the Gemini program, the Apollo program the race to the moon, all of that. We got to build rockets, and it was just, I don't know, I, I have not an engineering bone in my body. <laughs> Neither do I. If they had relied on me to get to the moon, we'd still be trying to figure out how to figure out a gantry, okay? <laughs> <laughs> but there's just something about knowing that there have been humans that have walked on the moon, and we put them there. So it, it's its just fascinating. It's its really cool. Um so a lot of what he did on the International Space Station was getting us ready to go to the moon and, and then on to Mars. Would, mm-hmm. would you go to Mars or to the moon? If, it, if there was like a, a tourist visa to go to the moon, would you?
2: <laughs> Maybe the moon, but I don't know about Mars. <laughs> <laughs> There's just too many things that can go wrong.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I would go to the moon definitely for sure. Uh, just because, man, can you imagine that ride?
2: Yeah, it'd be pretty pretty sweet. That's
1: just oh man, and I watched the movie at Astra and it with Brad Pitt, which by the way, Brad Pitt spoke with astronaut Mister or Nick. Nick, <laughs> we asked him what he liked to be called as, and he said just Nick. <laughs> I said, are you sure you're are you a colonel or? He, nope, just Nick is fine. <laughs> so we talked with Nick. He had spoken um, while he was on the space station uh, with. Brad Pitt for the movie. And I just thought I had to ask him.
2: (laughs) How cool was that? She was all fangirl in it, you know. (laughs) Hey, you would fangirl too, okay?
1: If you had any fangirl inkling in your body.
2: Yeah, pretty sure I don't.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But what he was doing on the on the International Space Station, what they're what they're all those experiments sound like they're silly and frivolous, but they're really part of how to get us to the moon again. How to um get us all the way to Mars, how to have interstellar travel. You've got to you've got to figure out how to build the blocks before you can put the blocks together to create a civilization. Yeah. And that's what they're doing. So,
2: pretty pretty cool. So, would you really go into space, Jenny?
1: Yeah. I think I would. Wouldn't you? I mean, honestly, wouldn't you even if it was low earth orbit, even if it was just to the International Space Station and back?
2: Yeah, I think so. I don't know that I would want to live up there for an extended period of time.
1: Just to get in a rocket and go that fast, (laughs) that excites
2: me a lot. Is that why you drive so fast?
1: I prefer to just say, I keep up or I set the pace of traffic.
2: (laughs) Yeah, there's no keeping up to Jenny.
1: (laughs) But, you know, one thing that we didn't talk with Nick about was the fact that his very first rocket ride had to be aborted. Um, And the Soyuz... Um, rocket that he was on, and he and his, his co-pilot were on, they, they had to abort the mission, and they landed safely back to Earth, but about a month or so later, they were strapped to another Soyuz rocket to go up to this space station.
2: It's got to take an awful lot of gall to get back into a rocket after it didn't make it to the first time.
1: <laughs> I think there's a different kind of intestinal fortitude <laughs> with astronauts. And I'm really excited about this interview for you all to listen to to Nick talk about his spacewalk experiences and just what it is to be a kid from Hoxie, Kansas. How big is Hoxie? It's not very big. Um, Population, I believe, 1,200 and... Well, let me look at that real quick. We had it down. um, 1,201 as of the last census, census.
2: So that's not very big at all.
1: I want to know who the one person is. <laughs> it's really <probably> the dog. <laughs> <laughs> um, so coming from a small town like that, coming from a farm, and joining the military and having such a storied career, uh, and then getting into space, that is incredible. And I hope that listening to his story inspires the next generation, your kids, my littles, to get us further into space than we've ever been before.
2: Yeah, and pardon the pun, but he's really down to earth, and he's very easy to listen to, and he paints such a neat picture about his experience. So,
1: Uh, You know what? We work in words. I know it doesn't sound like that when we (laughs) fluster around on the podcast. We work in words. But that's the first time a military man has ever almost brought me to tears with his description (laughs) of a spacewalk. So we are really excited to share that with you.
2: Well, to learn about Nick's work on the ISS and how it can apply to agriculture here on Earth and someday help us return to the moon and eventually Mars, keep listening. And as always, if you've got a comment or a thought, drop us a line at hpjtalk at hpj.com and let us know. Or you can always call us at the office, 1-800-452-7171. And do us a favor and head over to iTunes or wherever you download your podcasts and leave us a review. This week's episode will bring you the stories you might have
1: missed in the November 4th print edition. And then we've got our full interview with Hoxie, Kansas' favorite son, Nick Haig. Your transportation to work may be a Dodge Dually and not a Soyuz Rocket. But in the end, there's a lot to learn on this week's Ride With Us, here on HPJ Talk. Field editor Lacey Newland brings us the cow-calf issue cover story, the A Bar Ranch Multitasks for Maximum Return. She interviews Mike and Martha Armitage of Claremore, Oklahoma, who not only run a 4,000-head cow herd, but also the quarter horse operation and operate a livestock marketing company, Armitage Livestock.
2: Inside, Jenny has a story on warning signs abound in today's farm economy. A report from the October 22nd Farm Foundation Forum webinar that featured economic experts from the American Farm Bureau Federation, FAPRI at the University of Missouri, and Mississippi State Department of Ag Economics. Then on our editorial page, Jenny, you have an editorial this week. Farmers don't need Neil Young preaching to them. You take the celebrities of Farm Aid to task over how they pit organic versus conventional farming against each other, but ignore larger issues that face all farmers. Seymour Clearly talks about celebrating life in the Capitol, and editor Dave Bergmeier has a book review of The Garlic Papers.
1: If you have a response to something you've read or heard, or there's a local topic that you want to bring to the attention of our readers and listeners, please write to us at journal at hpj.com, or hpjtalk at hpj.com, or call us at 1-800-452-7171. We want to hear from you.
0: Attend Soil Health U in Salina, Kansas, January 22nd and 23rd. Farmers and ranchers will learn how to sustainably maximize profit from every acre of land. This two-day trade show features an ag producer panel, breakout sessions, and keynote speakers like Ray Archuleta and Lance Gunderson. Early bird tickets are available now through November 18th for 75 bucks. Register at SoilHealthU.net, sponsored by High Plains Journal, Again, 22nd and 23rd, Salina, Kansas. Register online at SoilHealthU.net.
2: Joining us this week is NASA astronaut and Air Force Colonel Nick Haig back from spending 203 days on the International Space Station. Nick grew up on a farm near Hoxie, Kansas, population 1,201, and true to his Kansas roots, he made it to the stars through difficulty.
1: That's saying it mildly, mildly, Kayleen. Haig's first flight into space ever was forced to abort when the rocket booster on the Soyuz rocket malfunctioned. Fortunately, he and his crewmate, Alexei Ovchinin, landed safely, and he was back on another Soyuz ride in June. While on the ISS, he worked on research projects that will help humans fly beyond low Earth orbit, back to the moon someday, and then all the way to Mars.
2: Welcome to the podcast, Colonel Haig. Nick, uh, thank you for taking time from your duties at NASA to speak with us about your amazing experience in space.
0: Well, it's a pleasure to be with both of you uh, today to chat about it. Um, You know, it is funny, you know, taking time from the duties, it, it's one of those things where, uh, after landing, you know, I landed a little over a month ago, and, uh, a lot of people think that the mission stops, uh, once you hit the ground, and actually the mission keeps rolling for another solid six months. Uh, part of that is, is collecting a lot of the data on me, uh, for this, for the experiments that I'm a part of, uh, but, you know, a huge part of that is doing what we're doing right now, which is telling the story of what, we do on the space station and uh, and why people should care about it you know why is it so important what we're doing up there
1: well to start off with let's just talk about um, exactly what you were doing up in um, space on the International Space Station it looks like you had some very practical applications for experiments that'll get humanity back to the moon and eventually to Mars and I I don't know about you, Kayleen, but I'm I'm kind of a nerd about this type of thing. If if there was a commuter flight to Mars today, I'd sign up. I just think that this is amazing. And and there's some some experiments you did up there. Maybe talk about what those experiments were and what are the the practical applications for them, either down here on Earth or what they're going to do in in um, further space travel.
0: Yeah, you know, absolutely. It is a super exciting time to be involved with space exploration uh you know the announcement of going back to the moon in five years as part of the artemis program uh has really infused a lot of energy and uh you know we've got a lot of work we need to do between now and then to figure out all the systems that are necessary to to make that mission successful and and more importantly to make it sustainable so that we can push on uh to mars with what we learn at the moon um so things that we do that the the space station is this national laboratory that's circling the globe every 90 minutes. Uh, we're up there about 250 miles above the surface of the Earth, and the unique thing that we have up there is we are able to live in a microgravity environment, meaning that everything is falling together. So when you see us on TV, it looks like everything is floating, mm-hmm. and that really helps us take away this dominant effect of gravity that, that drives everything around us here on the ground, and it lets us see, it lets us see the, the world around us as well as ourselves, the, the, the universe around us and ourselves, at a more nuanced detail. And so some of those ways are just, you know, how our bodies function. That's going to be something that's going to be, uh, you know, super critical to understanding how to go further into space is how our bodies function in microgravity. And as we start to learn more and more about how our bodies function up there, we learn more about their, you know, their fundamental nature, and that helps us produce better drugs, better treatments. It helps us understand uh, different diseases uh, better we you know while I was up there, I worked on you know over the course of seven months up there, you work on about two hundred and fifty to three hundred different experiments, so we touch on everything from figuring out new materials to help uh, make it possible to 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 be more efficient. One of the examples is uh, fiber optic production, so being able to stretch a, a piece of glass up there is is it 's a unique environment, and we can potentially create fiber optics that are far better and cheaper to produce up there than they are on the ground and that'll help spread you know you know high bandwidth communications a, across the nation a, at an even better rate. Uh, we look at how to produce uh, rubbers that are more resilient so that we could you know potentially manufacture tires on the ground to to increase their life as well as increase fuel efficiency of all the cars on the roads. And, you know, that helps our planet by reducing the amount of fuel that we have to burn to move cars around. So there's those practical applications. There's also the applications for the human body. Uh, research, uh, you know, I was up there. I I sequence DNA, trying to prove out that hey, we can go up there and we can do gene editing and do that same type of research that institutions are doing on the ground. You know, we're paving the way to be able to do that type of research up there as well. Uh, we looked at at, uh, at the way that proteins and 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 different types of structures form in that weightless environment in in analogous situations to the way they might form in the brain to try to better understand Alzheimer's or, or some of other, you know, brain degenerative diseases. So it's, it just spans so much, and, and it's, it's hard to communicate just the breadth of how much what we're doing up there can be translated back down to everybody on the ground and improve their lives.
1: It's kind of like you were an explorer on Christopher Columbus's ships and you had to take everything with you that you would ever possibly need um, to, because to, you, know, you didn't know if there was going to be any of those resources when you get there, right? Mm-hmm. And, Absolutely. And you have to be able to manufacture what you need wherever you're at. And, and you just, you know, we always talk about, well, there's no 7-Eleven in space. <laughs> well, you know, possibly through this work, you know, we may be able to make the moon into the 7-Eleven, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, you know, you've got to be prepared for all those things. And, you know, I mentioned the materials and, and, and you know, some of that is 3D printing and manufacturing stuff as we go. Uh, and we're testing that out up there. Uh, you know, the other part of that is people have to live. And to live, we have to eat. And trying to take all the food that you're going to need for a two- or three-year journey to Mars uh, is... It becomes prohibitive. Mm-hmm. Uh, bringing all the water that we're going to need becomes prohibitive. So we get really smart with how we try to close that loop and simulate what Earth does for us on the ground. How do we grow crops? How do we use? Uh, how do we use crops to? To consume carbon dioxide, which is bad for us in the atmosphere, and produce oxygen for us. And so there were test beds up there where I was growing algae, trying to help the algae consume some of the carbon dioxide that the crew gave off and produce some oxygen. Uh, We were raising algae to try to see if we could generate, uh, uh, you know, an an increased uh, nutrient-rich food for us that would help us on those long journeys. And, you know, we were doing simple stuff like just growing lettuce, uh, to try to provide fresh food for us as as kind of pathways toward being able to cultivate crops uh, off the planet.
2: So cool. Yeah, that was going to be my question, you know, because obviously we're a farm publication, and there's people and neighbors back home that are farmers, and you grew up on a far- farm.
0: Um, mm-hmm.
2: And I think, you know, you're being from a small town with a little population, and you made it to NASA, and you made it to the International Space Station. Um, how did you prepare for these sort of challenges that you faced in your career this far?
0: Yeah, it's, uh, I've, I've told the story a, a few times. I don't think I can say it enough. I think growing up in, you know, rural Kansas in a small town afforded me so many opportunities to be able to, to, Try so many different things going through school you know being able to do multiple sports and be part of several clubs and just get that diversity of experience as well as just the you know the roll up the sleeves and and hard work ethic uh that i think that gets instilled in the the youth that grow up in in rural america um you know the value of hard work and you know that uh, you know things in life aren't going to come easy, and so you work hard to achieve what you want to achieve. And, uh, you know, I think that to, you know, my parents and the way they raised me, but I also, you know, I have to thank the the environment that I grew up in. And uh, there's something special about growing up in a small town in Kansas.
1: So, Nick, I grew up at Chapman. I went to school at Chapman, and we are famously the home of astronaut Joe Engel. And (laughs) I remember walking past his his, uh, photo every single day going to school of him and his, um, his space suit and thinking if he could do it, I could do it. So it's, it's gotta be something kind of pretty, pretty special. I bet you, uh, class reunions are never going to be the same for you again.
0: (laughs) No, I, I, I doubt, I doubt they will. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's a privilege to have the opportunity to, to be able to do something like this and uh, experience what it's like to to live and work in space uh but it is it is it is very difficult for me to comprehend how how that's going to inspire other people you know i was just doing the job that uh, they asked me to do up there um so I'm, I'm tickled and i'm honored that you know maybe there's some kid out there that's going to read my story or or listen to my story, and, and, and they're going to be inspired to just chase their dreams and, uh, and, and run them down with a passion.
1: Yep. Well, now, um, so living on the International Space Station, conducting extracurricular ve- extra-vehicular activities. I guess they could be extracurricular. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, spacewalks okay how did you mentally prepare and how was the wow moment um was it everything you imagined as a kid or or even as an adult
0: yeah it, it is something spectacular and I'm going to spend the rest of my life trying to grab the right words to express what it was like to live up there and and to be able to do a spacewalk and what that felt like um we train a ton so Started six years ago, doing doing spacewalk training here at at NASA in our big under you know our pool that's got a space station underwater. Uh, we do all kinds of system training, so we know the tools and we know the spacesuits. And so I felt very familiar and very comfortable with that. Um, it's the it is the like you said the, the wow factor of uh, peeking out the hatch the first time it's open and looking down and seeing the earth glide by underneath you and, and being able to you know, make out snow-topped mountain ranges as they you know, kind of just slowly walk by the station as you're working along or seeing just brilliant reds that come out of the, the African deserts or, or just fields of crops as far as you can see, you know, spread across the the midwest of the US. It's it's um it's amazing to be able to take that all in, you know, while I'm out there doing maintenance activities. And and just the the mind trying to to comprehend, you know, here I am doing a, a you know, a job that on the ground would be deemed pretty routine and, and yet I'm I'm flying through the sky at seventeen thousand miles an hour, and there's the earth two hundred fifty miles below me and and all of a sudden the sun pops up uh, over the horizon and you can just feel the heat and then it drops down below the horizon forty five minutes later and then you can feel the cold and and see the stars and it's just uh just this the experience where your senses are just overwhelmed. Um, and it's, uh, it's phenomenal. So I highly recommend it if you get the chance.
1: (laughs) Well, I tell you what, if you guys ever decide to take ag journalists up in space, (laughs) I'll volunteer.
2: All right. (laughs) Write your name down. Um,
1: uh, okay. I have to ask this question, Kayleen, and she's, she's gonna, she's gonna make fun of me forever, but okay. Come on. Um, how cool was it to chat with Brad Pitt for the movie Ad Astra? I mean, you're a Kansas kid and it's it's technically our state motto. Um and Brad's a, a Midwestern boy, but what was the family's reaction? What was, you know, your wife and your and everybody? Hey, Next chat with Brad. <laughs> yeah, so uh, it, it was a little surreal. I mean, you get to meet so many interesting people as part of this job, and that's really one of the
0: treats of the job—is just who you get to work with, who you get to meet, and and it's inspiring uh, on a daily basis. Just the the great people that are out there. Um, but yeah, getting to getting to chat with him. Yeah, you know, I, I got to watch his movie a couple weeks earlier than it came out, and so I was excited to. Uh, to give him my review and, uh, and just a, to, you know, basically let him know how much he's appreciated in terms of what he does to tell the story of space and, and to, to inspire generations to get involved with the exploration of space. It's, uh, it's, it's cool. Um, but you know, the, I also had moments you know my favorite moments up there. were talking to school kids, uh, whether it was, uh, uh, over the ham radio, or you know I did a downlink with the Cosmosphere in Hutchison and and just being able to answer the kids' questions and and to hear their curiosity and their excitement and and know that that you know they're our future and 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 the future secure as long as we can continue to support uh, that curiosity yep.
2: Yeah, I have two kids myself, and they're they're always asking questions about anything. And uh, <laughs> let's circle back around, uh, right quick to going to Mars.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: What is that what What is that all about? Because I'm not <laughs> as familiar with the space travel and all this that Jenny ha- is. Can you tell us a little bit about going to Mars and what it means?
0: Yeah, sure. You know, so the. You know, when we went back to, when we went to the moon uh, in in the 60s, it was this uh, it was this international competition with the with the Soviet Union. And I think the the biggest difference that you're going to see when we start talking about going to the moon and then on to Mars is that you know it, we're going to do it today in a sustainable way so that we can continue to go back and to continue to push so we take one small step and then another small step and keep moving forward that it's going to be through global partnerships and whether that's through you know private corporations and governments uh, or it's international in the way that we've demonstrated on the space station over the last 20 years this, the strength through diversity that we gain, through these international co- cooperation, this international cooperation and collaboration, that's really the secret in being able to do this. And so, I think the biggest single thing you're going to see different is that we're going to do it together, and that's a really strong, powerful word. We're going to do it together. Um, so that's the first thing. How do we get there? You know, we stop at the we stop at the moon, uh, and the the first stop at the moon is really to try to figure out how we start working with in extreme isolation so it may seem to you like the space station is pretty isolated but what you don't realize is there's a there's a team on the ground that's constantly monitoring everything that's going on and it's spread across the globe and it in total it's about a hundred thousand people that support those six people or seven people working up in the station and as we get further and further away from the Earth, their ability to control in real time what's happening and to respond to the systems that are going on or or changes that are happening in the systems is going to become more and more limited and the the crew is going to have to be more autonomous. And so they're going to become more and more isolated. And that's one of the challenges we're going to have uh, is how to have that crew operate in an isolated fashion because we've... continually manned, you know, it, the, the space station's been continually inhabited for the last two decades, mm-hmm. almost two decades. And, and so we've proven that you can live and, and maintain a facility. Now we have to figure out how, how do we do that at an extreme distance. I said the space station was 250 miles above the Earth. The moon's 250,000 miles above the Earth. And so we're going to go a lot further away. And we're going to start uncovering what those challenges are some of those challenges we know about we know radiation is going to be difficult Mm -hmm. um bringing it back to you know to to agriculture we know that sustaining life is going to be difficult because it takes a lot of supplies and so figuring out how to reclaim water and and purify water uh, figuring out how to grow crops uh, so that we can so that we can sustain our crews, Those are going to be key breakthroughs that help us get back to Mars.
1: So, you know, circling back again to your interview with Brad and the Hollywood connection. I mean, we've seen the Martian and growing things and other things.
2: <laughs> um,
1: we've seen uh, uh, Ad Astra and the whole space travel that they posit as a, as a potential for the future. Um, is that anywhere near to the, I mean, is that anywhere near reality? If there is a reality or, or a possible reality, or is that just pure Hollywood guys, that's not going to work <laughs> type stuff? No, I, I,
0: I think that, you know, Hollywood does a great job of capturing the imagination of, of, and challenging our concept of what's possible. And so I think that you are going to see us trying to push to make those reality uh, if you look at what we're doing today on the space station, we're doing it in kind of two ways. Uh, the first is we're trying to better understand the Earth. You know, one of the one of the benefits of space exploration is, is, is it seems to history has proven out. The more we explore away from home, the more we end up understanding about our home. And so right now the station is using is using photographs. You know, we're taking photographs from space of crops on the ground uh, below trying to help evaluate the health, you know, what's the biomass content uh, in the fields, how, how can we help farmers uh, be smarter about how they're, you know, what they're putting on their crops and, and how much water it's required so that we can increase yields and make them more profitable, all of those technologies, all of that is going to help us inform how we need to cultivate crops on another planet. Um, the, you know, the other, the other aspect of it is we're actually growing plants on the space station. And if you see where we're at right now, you know, we'll grow individual plants of lettuce and we may be able to grow, you know, in the veggie facility now, 12 plants at a time. And it takes us four weeks of, of, you know, caretaking and watering and, and tending to those, those plants in order to harvest that, to be able to provide us with enough lettuce for, uh, you know, salad at a handful of dinners. Wow. That's not enough, but that's the start. Yep. And we're learning how to do that. Because, you know, the challenge is, especially on the space station, in that in that environment where everything floats, it's pretty hard to water plants.
1: <laughs> you know, I was just going to ask you, how, how do you get the plants watered? How does the soil or the medium stay? I mean... Can you even have soil on the space station, or does it just float everywhere and get into stuff?
0: <laughs> yeah, so it's it's this strange, you know, it's a cross between like hydroponics where, you know, we do need a medium to hold the water and, and try to provide nutrients to the root system, but, you know, there is no down, so the water's got to know where to go, <laughs> so we have to force it. So we use syringes, uh, you know, water bags, and, and, and the plants, exist. essentially the root ball is is in a, a pillow that's surrounded by this medium, and then we're injecting the water into that and trying to get it to distru- uh, disperse to the roots so that it can help the plant grow. And then, you know, don't forget we're inside a metal can up there, so we have to provide all the light. And so we're doing research on what's the best light to provide, how much red and how much blue light do we to provide the plants, and what kind of day-night cycle helps them grow the fastest. So those are all questions and technologies we're trying to prove out so that we can scale it up when we need.
1: Okay, this is going to be another dumb question, and Kayleen's going to roll her eyes at me, but I'm used to it. Do, do the plants know which way's up when they're growing in a, in a you know, zero-gravity environment? I know that sounds really silly, but I've, I've always kind of wondered.
0: No, you know, that is not a, that's not a silly question. Um, it's a lot of those fundamental questions that we're trying to answer up there. And so, you know, the water doesn't know, you know, the water doesn't know which way is down, so the plant doesn't have any way to know which way is down or up, or it's going to the water where it can find it, and it's going to the light where it can find it. And so we end up creating uh, creating this artificial environment where the pillow is essentially the ground, and that's where all the nutrients and water are located, and then we put lights directly above it. And so the plant looks. Just like you know any uh, any leafy green that you would see on the ground as we're growing it up there, um, but you know, just like me, when I flipped upside down on the space station, I couldn't tell that I was upside down. There's no <laughs> sense of direction.
1: How does it feel to be back on the ground?
0: Well, I you know there is no place like home.
1: <laughs> we're we're you know you wouldn't be a, a full Kansan if you didn't say that.
0: <laughs> I guess. I gotta say it's it it's it's you know the toughest part about the whole journey is the separation from the family mm-hmm. and and it's uh just getting back to to my wife and the boys and and being able to to be dad at home again has been a lot of fun, and uh, it just makes you you know the the absence makes the heart grow fonder is uh, is an understatement uh being up there getting the perspective of the earth below everything that you know has ever existed for humanity you know it's all right there below you and you get to see it kind of glide by on a 24-hour uh, clock and to know that it, it just for me it brought what is important in life into just sharp clarity and 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 the family is at the center of that, but you know that's nothing different than what I grew up learning about family and in you know rural rural Kansas.
2: Yep. What do you have any advice for kids that are in FFA or 4-H or, you know, even even your own kids about this being their future?
1: You know, we we do a lot of talking to youth groups that want to have careers in agriculture that may not be production. There's so many ways technology can do that. You're an example of one way that, that you can actually apply technology and not be in production agriculture, so to speak. So yep. what would you say
0: yeah, to those kids? Absolutely. So it, it, my advice is, is to, to kids out there as they're you know, starting in school and they're trying to figure out what they want to do in life is, is really universal. Whether you want to get involved with space or agriculture or where they overlap, and you want to do agriculture and space, which is a growing area, you just need to find what you're passionate about, and and just you know it's not going to be easy. Life is full of, of challenges and, and obstacles, and I you know I think if, if you look back, if when I look back at everything that I've done, you know I can point out many times. Uh, where things didn't turn out like I thought they were going to turn out, and uh, you take those challenges, and you're defined by how you respond to those challenges. And, you know, but as long as you're pursuing something that you're passionate about, uh, it's always easy to find the extra little push, the extra little drive to, you know, just to to keep moving forward and, and be successful. And, you know, when it all boils down to it, you know, as long as you're doing something that you really love to do and you're passionate about, you're going to be happy and, and you're going to do the best that you can do. And so really that's, you know, when you're trying to figure out what you're going to do later in life, when you grow up, you know, what's your career going to be? You need to be asking yourself, what's going to, you know, what am I passionate about? And, and, and I think that, you know, if I know anything about my upbringing – in Kansas and the, you know, just the, the, strong family values that, that came with it is that the thing that you're going to be passionate about is, is probably not going to be defined by, you know, terms like, you know, wealth and, 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 you know, profit. It's going to be defined by, by terms about, you know, friendship and love and what you can do to, to help those around you.
1: You know, we couldn't put that any better ourselves, could we, Kaylee? No. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, Nick, we want to thank you so much for taking a few minutes and chatting with us today for the podcast, even though we're not movie stars. <laughs> um,
0: <laughs> we're just uh, doing... It's been a real treat to, uh, to speak with you, and uh, you know, I look forward to uh, getting back to Kansas and, uh, and uh, visiting lots of classrooms and, and, and seeing lots of, uh, lots of kids. Full of uh, of excitement for
1: the future. Well, thanks again, um, astronaut uh, Just Nick Haig, for riding with us on HPJ Talk. Safe travels, no matter where life takes you, okay? Thank you.
0: Thank you. I appreciate it. You guys have a great day.
1: Folks, if you want to learn more about Nick's work on the ISS and how it can apply to agriculture here on Earth, visit www.nasa.gov. And as always, you can ride with us online anytime at www.hpj.com. The rocket boosters are optional.
2: Your grain market prices from Dodd City's Pride Ag Resources on October 29th. Corn was down at $3.76. Wheat was down at $3.64. Milo was down at $3.21, and soybeans were down at $7.93. If you'd like to have crop or livestock targeted news emailed directly to you, sign up for our HPJ direct email newsletters at our website, hpj.com, signup. Simply select the topics that interest you, and you'll receive updates on them directly to your email. <laughs> Next week's print issue of High Plains Journal is our ag marketing issue with a story by Jenny. Be sure to watch for that in your mailboxes November 11th and look for additional content online anytime at www.hpj.com. Remember, you can subscribe for free to this podcast at hpj.com podcasts. You can also find us on places like iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you download podcasts. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at HPJ Talk for news and commentary throughout the week. We're also on Instagram, and you can always drop us a line at our email, hpjtalk at hpj.com. Thanks again for riding
1: along with us, folks, as we bring ag news and commentary to you. And remember, as Dodge City's favorite lawman, Wyatt Earp, once said, fast is fine, but accuracy is everything. We'll see you on the trail. This has been a production of High
2: Plains Journal, all rights reserved. Dirt road in a
0: gooseneck Sad love with me. Dry land in God's country, crops far as I can see. The headlights on both ends of my day, this country.